Welcome to Box Out Banter, where we have a brand new NBA champion. Congrats to the Golden State Warriors. I am Chris Okamura. Joining me as always, Mr. Jordan Christmas. What's going on, Jordan? Well, a very familiar face, huh? <laughs> a very familiar face back on top. Uh, kind of sad the basketball season's over. Um, we have a beautiful off-season. well the NBA the NBA season is over. I'm gonna be watching. I'm gonna be focusing more on uh, the WNBA now and Padres baseball uh, since it's the summertime and of course the draft and offseason stuff. Basketball content doesn't stop, but I am sad the NBA season is over. It was a fun one. It was a fun. It was one. a great season. I had a lot of fun with it. Yeah, it was a, a lot of parody. Um. A lot of uh, cool storylines, a lot of uh, young players establishing themselves, the usual. Uh, but this season, just just a reminder that um, the Golden State Warriors trio, it it's tough to beat. It's tough to it beat. It really is. Although- That's why I was so, like, not to uh, victory lap here or anything like that, if you will allow me to ISO for a minute. Um, I... I've always the reason I was always so high on the Warriors going into the season. Well, one, they're one of my favorite teams ever to watch. Uh, Steph Curry's my second favorite player behind Allen Iverson. Loved him since Davidson. Had no clue he was going to have this type of fucking career. To be clear, but I loved Stephen Curry. The evolution of everything, and going to college in Northern California and. Watching the Warriors juxtaposed with, of course, the tanking Sixers. It was a nice relief. Later on in the night, the Sixer game would be at four. <laughs> and then, of course, the West Coast games come on, and it's usually the Warriors. Um, just seeing their evolution, and I was so high on them because they are the trio of Draymond, Steph, and Clay are just tough to beat. And centered around everything, of course, is Steph and Curry. And even when the Suns were dominating this season, um, and I was like, this team is, you know, one of the best teams. They they posted one of the best records. They're one of the best teams. Should have been one of the favorites to come out of the West. Maybe the odds on favorite. Still, I always said, I always told you and, you know, said it on my channel and everything like, but push comes to shove. I might lean Warriors in the Suns Warriors series. I think I, I always thought it was a 50-50 series um, because, that trio when they're together they're so good and the Warriors started off so hot to start the year then injuries hit Draymond went out the Warriors offense and defense kind of well their defense mainly sputtered a little bit Steph went through a shooting slump and it all just coalesced together and this is like this is Steph's crown jewel and um like you know, 2015. Oh, it was injury riddled. LeBron had to carry an injury riddled Cavs team. No Kyrie Irving and Kevin Love. And then, of course, they won 73 games and then ch uh, choked away a 3-1 lead. It's, oh, see, told you, you know, healthy LeBron team. Uh, Warriors can't really do it by themselves, even though that was ridiculous to me always. And then they get Kevin Durant. And then those championships, while they're revered, they're kind of, they kind of muddied the resume for Steph because it's like, oh, you can't do it without Kevin Durant. And it's like, well, we saw him win a championship before Kevin Durant, but whatever. Kevin Durant leaves. It's a two-year drought of 
figuring out what to do with D'Angelo Russell, even though we knew the whole time they were trading him, the minute they traded for him. Um, Kelly Oubre, Eric Mulder, Kent Bazemore, all those guys. And then just to come back like that, like this is one of the most remarkable turnarounds I've seen. I can't remember a team that went through a two-year drought like this, got the number two overall pick, by the way, and he hasn't played. And really, all their guys came back, and they're back at the mountaintop. i never really seen anything like it. But it's a remarkable turnaround. And whatever remaining doubts Steph Curry, whatever remaining doubters or excuses people wanted to use against Steph Curry to dismiss some of his championships or his accomplishments, this is the you-can't-say-shit-about-this-man-anymore championship. Like, he's unassailable. He's in my top ten ever. I mapped out, a, mapped out a little rough list before I got on the pod, and I'm going to do a deep dive and research this summer to really hash it out. But Steph Curry's in my top 10. He changed the game, and they're one of the winning winningest teams in the Draymond, Steph, Clay trio is one of the winning winningest trios ever, and they're not done yet, which is the uh, scary for the rest of the league. All right, I'm going to pass the rock back to you. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think I, I agree with you 100%. I think, like, this was sort of like a... We'll shit on the Celtics later, or talk about the Celtics, but also just <laughs> later. But I want to yeah. praise the Warriors first. No, definitely. I think the... I, I know I know this is like a give step his flowers moment, and, like, certainly he deserves it more than anyone. This I a give wanna... everybody flowers moment. Yeah, I want I want to really focus on, like more like the Bob Myers aspect of this of like it takes a lot when they went through what they went through with the injuries and like the end of quote unquote the end of an era where like it's very rare to have a front office and not panic. Yes. And like sell the farm. Yes. yes. And like that it's such a huge thing of like okay no just trust in what we have trust in like our process and that our guys are going to come back healthy and be okay. And like, dude, there there are a lot. I know there are a lot of people that were saying like, "Yeah, Steph's never gonna make, make it to another championship." There like, was a hemming and hawing over whether to give him the five year max extension, which was always yeah. nuts to me. By the way, <laughs> yeah, and like, you know, I I enjoyed it as a Laker fan because they're they're like, could Steph go to the Lakers to play with LeBron? Like that was always like, I was like, yes, he should do that. Of course, the Laker photoshops um, were fine. Yeah, he, that day. I was like. I was like, he should do that 100%. And, you know, it's like, it's important for his career, whatever, blah, blah, blah. Um, but no, like, it, it's, I think it's important for, like, us to realize, like, yeah, this is uh, someone that they, like, they, the lack of panic and the, and the understanding of, like, no, we can, we have this. Like, yeah. it's okay. It's ownership um, and, and Bob Myers. Like, Joe Lacob always gets shit on for the, you know, light years ahead thing and, like, by the way, did you see all the weird criticism about Joe Lacobs being allowed to spend too much money because yeah. the Warriors okay. basically fuck, print money? Yo, <laughs> fuck Brian Windhorst, dog. Like, <laughs> what? Like, well, it's not just Windy. There's been, like, reported, sourced reporting or whatever that other owners are bristling at the yeah, fact. Yeah, but, like, yeah, but yes, but yes, Win Windhorst bringing it up, like, right afterwards is was, like... a checkbook the... win? Like, what the fuck is yeah, that Yeah, what mean? the fuck does that mean? Like, what a <laughs> shitty... I, that rubbed me the wrong way in so many ways. Because like... it discredited the game, the big game. It was game... F 
uh four after he yeah. said it. after he said like, he said the because Andrew Wiggins had a great game even though Steph dude that, carried that it. was probably like one of the best games of the series yeah and, like, and Windhorse like, was like this was a checkbook win because they were able to pay yeah. all the luxury tax for Wiggins contract blah blah yeah blah. and like, like you have to get out of here bro get, the, the statement that killed me was you don't have to only beat the Warriors on the floor you have to beat their checkbook like, so you have to be what? And I was like, "What does that mean, you fucking moron?" Like, <laughs> like, <laughs> like th- that's that's like the same dumb criticism. And I mean, it, I hate the Lakers, but that was kind of levied against the Lakers too. Before it turns out, over these last seven years, eight years, ten years, Genie Bussa, it's kind of cheap. But yeah. early on, like the Lakers yeah. would print money and they use that to their advantage. They use the locale to their advantage. Like, I'm sorry, dog. Like the Warriors weren't always a money printing machine. Like yeah. Steph made everything and smart ownership, smart front office group. That's what, like, yes, the front office you has the right to be able to spend that much money. It's not yeah, like you're like, given. If owners are complaining like about other owners spending money, how about you sell your fucking team? Because yeah. that's what you're supposed to do, aka Robert Sarver, who won't pay, probably won't fork over a lot of money for DeAndre Ayton. Like guys like that, those are probably the guys that are bitching and complaining. Like if you have a roster, and Joe Lacob said it in the athletic piece that uh, Anthony Slater wrote post Game Six, like fucking go all in. Like you're yeah. gonna make it out. You're gonna make it up at the back end anyway because the yeah, Warriors you, are so popular. If tru- yeah, if you trust in your in your team that you're gonna be successful, the only reason why you wouldn't spend is is be, is be if you think that you're not going to hit the heights that you should be hitting. Yeah, or you're a cheap owner and you want to save every penny, like the Lakers, not wanting to fork over what was it, thirty mm-hmm. extra million for Alex Caruso? Like, yeah, okay. that was, it was one of the most embarrassing things I've ever seen. And like, like the very, Warriors had to very, pay an extra $12 million to keep Gary Payton the third, the second on the roster. He was the 15th guy to make the team, but the luxury tax and all that, the Warriors would have had to pay an extra $12 million basically yep. to keep him on, and they did it. And what do you know? Gary Payton the second was pivotal in this finals. <laughs> like, the, the checkbook win thing, yeah, I agree with you. Yeah, but anyway, sorry, continue. No, all good. It, it's, yeah, so that, that was like the, that was the one thing that rubbed me the wrong way about like the entire coverage of this. And like, Mm -hmm. I'm very glad that the rest of NBA fandom was sort of on board with it too. Like, yeah, for it. So, yes. And also I'm proud of of us as a NBA community that we don't, don't bootlick billionaires. That's my, uh, that's my, that's always my mindset. (laughs) I, I don't bootlick millionaires. They're supposed to spend the money to make your team good. Like that's what otherwise, why are you in this? Like, let's let's just you don't see Lakers fans complaining that Steve Ballmer spends this ungodly amount of money, right? Like, no. we all know that that comes with the game. It's the the game is the game, you know? <laughs> yeah, I don't blame anyone for spending money. It was like, again, the it was kind of just like the, bring up the Laker point again. Like that was very much a. I think Lakers fans were mad, mad more than anyone just because that's a very anti-Laker move. Yeah, like not spending the money to keep a team ha- like good is like a very anti. That's like it goes against everything that like historically yes, for. yeah. So. But yes, you're right. Absolutely. So Bob Myers, Joe Lacob, all those guys they des- they deserve all the credit in the world for not panicking, 
realizing that and i hate to do because this is kind of a facsimile of the doc rivers like oh our our starting five was undefeated when we were fully healthy uh with, when he, that he holy the, shit that was so good <laughs> thank you uh i've had a lot of time to practice my doc rivers <laughs> as you can understand but um yeah that was awesome <laughs> but um the warriors the war the, well two stats this stat is crazy the Warriors, I believe, are twenty-one or twenty-two and two in all of Steve Kerr's playoff runs with the Warriors, basically since he's been with Golden State. Um, that's all, wild. This that's wild, and they haven't lost a, the trio of Steph, Draymond, and Clay. Whenever they start in all games in a series, they never lost. Like the only two series they lost, obviously, were the twenty sixteen Finals, um, where you know. Maybe a, a dick punch swung the series, but also LeBron and Kyrie dominated the last three games. And the 2019 finals were literally everything fell apart uh, uh, at the end of a five-year run with Kevin Durant's calf injury leading to an Achilles tear. Klay Thompson tearing his ACL mid-heater in game six of that 2019 finals. Those are the only two series they lost. And I think there's something to that because... This is a perfect blend of a trio with a perfect blend of skill sets. And it's all centered around Steph Curry, who has the most gravitational force out of any superstar I've ever seen. And like, like, yes, Michael and Kobe, Kevin Durant, all those guys are great scorers and they command double teams, sometimes triple teams. But the space and the way Steph bends defenses is unlike anything I've ever seen. And everybody benefits from it. And I think the only the closest thing to me is Shaq. Yeah, that I've ever but seen. It's like the inv- it's like the inverse. It's like the inverse of Shaq because like the way that Shaq opened up three point shooting with and cutting just, off the triangle yeah, and all that just stuff. Just touching yeah. the ball was yeah. insane. Yeah, but the thing with Steph is, yes, the bo- with the ball in his hands, you need to be up on him. But then when he gives the ball up, he does not stop. He does not yeah. stop moving at all. He's the best off-ball superstar ever. And they have leveraged that and have created this style of play. Because remember last season, remember early in the season last year where everybody was getting on Kerr? You need to run more Steph Draymond pick and roll. It's not the same Warriors. It's not the same personnel. You can't run the beautiful movement cutting all that. The post splits with Draymond. You can't run that stuff. It's different personnel. Well, the last fifteen, they I think they went, um, I think they went like fifteen and four, fifteen and five. Their last twenty games of the season last year, playing that style. Once James Wiseman went down, and um, a few other key pieces went down, they just or a few other pieces went down. They were just like, you know what, let's just go back to our style, and it worked. And with Clay coming back with every they just play different than everybody else and that's why they win and Kerr stuck to his guns and yeah that's the other like it's kind of a little vindication for everybody um Steve Kerr like Steve Kerr was already a great coach but he was kind of getting questioned a little bit he I, I even had some criticisms not that I was like Kerr's a bad coach or stubborn or whatever yeah sure he's maybe stubborn some coaches are but like Kerr's a great coach like everybody had a role in the finals which was really cool to see all the guys that are the pillars of the Warriors dynasty they all had a role Kerr throughout the whole series made adjustments until 
kept making adjustments, you know, starting Otto Porter and, you know, tinkering with lineups, finding a way to get Gary Payton the second and Andrew Wiggins on the floor at the same time to match Boston's athleticism. Clay Thompson got better as the series went along after game four, pretty the fourth quarter of game four was like the return of vintage Clay Thompson on defense. And he played Jalen Brown so well because the first three games I was like, shit, Clay Thompson does not look the same. And duh, Clay Thompson had two devastating injuries. I say all things considered, Clay Thompson looked great this season. I don't know. Yeah, if, like for, for what it's for what it is, for what he great. went through, like he looked great. And um, the last three games of the series, he played better. Um, didn't shoot well, dude, but he off, played better. Offensively, on game six, I was like, dude, what happened to Clay? Like, <laughs> Yeah, but, you know, like, he still made some big shots. And then Draymond, like, remember that fourth quarter of game four? Up, up to that point, it was the worst series he played in his career. Um, oh, my God. He played, like, trash. <laughs> offense, offensively, I should say. Yeah. I think defensively, all series, he was fantastic. But yeah, off- but offensively, he was, I was but like, then, dude, what is going Steve, on? <laughs> and Steve Kerr benched him in the fourth quarter of game four and then Draymond came back the last three minutes of that game four had two big deflections and a big assist and a classic two on two on the ball on Steph Draymond four on three found Looney for an assist he figured he figured some stuff out and was great in games five and six like it it, it's it's to do it against that opponent that defense and like you know every Everybody was saying on paper the the Celtics have more talent and they're the better team. And then, you know, as the Warriors, you know, tied the series, it was like, well, Boston, if Boston would just stop turning the ball over. Well, Boston has had like eight games in the playoffs where they've had over 20 turnovers. At some point, that's who you are. Like, the Warriors just figured it out. It was their experience. Their health defense got better. They keyed in on Jalen Brown's weakness which is his left hand they were sitting on his drives the help defense was special Looney every one of the guys down the list man it it was a fantastic series in that we got to see somebody who has been there before climb back up to the top but they kind of had to figure it out because the Celtics the on paper it was the Warriors worst matchup because of the length and athleticism and all that is it reminded me of um the 2016 OKC series where all that length and athleticism just flustered the Warriors the first uh, four games of that series. They overran them, and then they figured it out, and the Warriors figured it out again. And now, like, I made a joke about it because I'm I'm binge-watching Naruto right now, but the Warriors have tapped into the Spurs jutsu of extending extending this run because look at it. They have – the old stars who are still good they have the middle eight not middle age but the 25 27 year old guys with Wiggins Otto Porter etc and then they have the young up-and-coming guys with high upside like Jonathan Kaminga Moses Moody Jordan Poole who was all who also figured it out as the series went along and James Wiseman look I don't know how good James Wiseman will be, but all I know is seven feet with that athleticism, if his knee is right, in a condensed role, like a DeAndre Ayton type role, if the Warriors can give him a foundation to build off of, to develop down the road, I think that'll be, that'll help the Warriors immensely. Like they have successfully threaded the needle when a lot of people said 
they can't you can't do a mix of young and old and almost never works um you they should have traded for Bradley Beal even though that would have included giving out Wiggins in the in that deal to match contracts like the Warriors just like you said the Warriors just stuck to their guns the front office did and it was just an impressive season all around for the dubs and they're not going anywhere even though we'll talk about it later I'm sure but the the west is going to be very 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 good next year with some healthy teams coming back but I still think the Warriors they they are to be in that air of Spurs obviously Celtics of the 80s Lakers where they're in the mix all the time, and they need that benefit of the doubt. Like, no matter what, every year they should be in the conversation until Stephen Curry retires or has a, you know, dramatic drop-off. No, I completely agree. I think they're going to be in it for the long haul. I think, like, just going back to the point of the – like, talking about the Celtics a little bit, like, I don't, like, don't want to keep beating this dead horse, but you could tell the Celtics just figured out, like, yo, if we blitz them, if we just go at them – the mounting pressure is just going to make more and more turnovers. Yeah, And like, yeah. it was just a thing of like, cool. They just don't like, all you have to do is run at them and they just don't know what, like eventually they're just going to crack. And um, even and when you, the Celtic, like, cause you, in this series, there were stretches where the Celtics, they, the Celtics had some stretches of defense in these, in these playoffs. So I was like, Holy shit. I have like, it's been a long time since like the Pacers in 2010s, the bulls, even though it was obviously a completely different game where they had guys just flying around and just shutting the water off. And even then the war, they still couldn't figure out the warriors. uh, Like they did drop cover. The Celtics were primarily a switching team. They started off the series with drop coverage on Steph. Just, we'll live with the pull-up threes. Okay, shit. Steph's going off. Okay, how about we do a little uh, trapping? Well, shit, there's the four-on-three. There's Wiggins with a corner three. There's Otto with a wing three. There's Clay coming off of a pin down. Okay, what if we just switch everything? Well, in game six, they switched everything, and Al Horford got fucking roasted. <laughs> yeah. Like, Steph is that type of dude, man. And you're right. But, and the Celtics just couldn't. They they were inexperienced. So yeah, and and again, like this goes back to something. Everything that we talked about before was kind of came true. Of like, okay, yeah, they they didn't have like the mounting pressure, and like they just didn't have anyone to like slow down their offense. Like you could tell immediately, like after big buckets, like Steph would hit a huge three, and I was like, cool, they're gonna come down and turn the ball over. Or they would come down and take a rush shot out of desperation. Yeah. Like I just know, like I like I just know, like okay, uh, like Jalen Jalen Brown's gonna get the ball, or Marcus Smart's gonna get the ball, and they're gonna come down and like huck a three. Like I I know it, mm-hmm. and yeah, and, like that's exactly what happens, right? And then, and then Jason Tatum was terrible from two all series too. Oh my god, I didn't. It looked like he was scared to get fouled. Um, he kept like or he would avoiding. try to he would try to draw contact by flailing instead of. Because there were games yeah, where he'd I, just go up strong, and it like I think it was game three, he just he would go up strong, and it was the strongest he looked in that series, just going dude, to the it, rim. But it then looked the rest, like, it, yeah. it looked like he was trying to like contort, like do the the like the old school like AI, like contort yeah. your body to the basket, like yeah. I'm just gonna drive and get around you, mm-hmm. shit. And I was like, you just go to the basket, like just go up. You're a big, strong guy, like yeah, and. Um, but yeah, there was stuff like that. And then like defensively, again, it goes back to the thing that the Warriors play different than everyone else. 
Yeah. So I mean, ta- look, like, the, they, the Warriors scored 103 points. The Celtics defended well. Yeah, but it doesn't matter. But like with this Steph. goes back. <laughs> like, and again, I don't, I don't want to take this away from Steph, and like, I don't want this to come off of like me bashing any of the Warriors and what they did. But like, people need to stop being like, this is the defense that stopped Durant and Giannis. And Jimmy Butler and shut them down. Look what Steph's doing. Where it's like, yes, though they this is the defense that shut all those guys down. But this is a completely different run offense than what the like the what the steps what the Warriors do around Steph is completely different than what the Nets do around KD or what the Bucks do around Giannis. It's not Steph going one v five against like heliocentrically against. A defense they're well, playing as they did the first four games well, the, the first four games yeah but like it it is him it is a movement based like they are screen they're screening they're doing more for steph and working as a team more than like any kind of iso well, i mean I steph don't, i don't know steph, if i steph, I, steph ran a, a ton of pick and roll i will say that um, i don't know if i agree with with that because there there is a lot to okay the kevin durant was a top five player this year when healthy or top five or six, a tier one Frank. He was an MVP candidate when healthy and the Celtics shut his water off. And yes, the coverages are maybe different and the offenses are different, but the Celtics also, they're not only adept at defending those type of players, but they're, they have the type of personnel to defend the, the Warriors motion offense. And they shut that water off. And Steph did had to go more, on ball like Kevin Durant and Giannis and Jimmy Butler, but Steph fried them. And yeah, I think- no, no, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not saying I'm not. My thing is it, it literally was the, the core element of all of those other teams offenses is, Hey, get him the, get, get this guy, the ball and let him ISO and let him cook. Right. Like that's like the yeah. core base of like all of those offenses. the core base of, the Warriors offense is getting their star guy moved around in -hmm. different spots on the floor. So it's very hard to track where Steph is going to be. And again, I don't want, it's a very, they play different than everyone else. So when you see, when you see like, it's very like you, again, I know the Celtics have the personnel to do it and they can do it and they made a ton of adjustments and they did a great job of making adjustments. But when they're used to playing, like, the offense, like when the, at its core, the offenses of the Nets, the Bucks, the Heat, the all of like what they want to do when it's crunch time, when it's push comes to shove, like their go to stuff is all pretty much the, like the NBA is pretty much the same at this point. Like get the ball your star dude and let him ISO. And that's not what the Warriors do. When the Warriors need a bucket, they're moving all their guys around, they're moving all their pieces around, and it's completely different. And like for a, a young I don't want to say inexperienced because they they they're not, but they you know for a young team in the finals in a pressure situation like that's a completely different thing to look at and go like okay how do we work this how do we make adjustments and like the Warriors just ended up out I think just out scheming the Celtics defense at a certain point because well, yeah, they, they they ran they the Celtics have an answer they, they, like, they eventually like they. It's it's weird because if you look at the series overall, the Warriors' offensive rating was about like tenth or whatever. Um, like if 
if you take their offensive rating just from this final series and compare it to like the overall playoff rankings is like 10th or whatever, but they are just, they, it's both defenses played great, but the Warriors personnel and how they play enabled them to find easier shots more frequently than the Boston Celtics did. And I think that is what is impressive because the Celtics defense to me, it was still really good in this series. And I think, you know, Steph playing against this defense, it should elevate him like, no, a hundred percent. I'm not again. I don't want to take anything away from Steph. My thing was like, it's when you when you're, it's not apples to apples. Like, there's a thing oh, of, of course not. Not everything's like, apples to apples. Yeah. No, because people people are saying like, you know, the like I the the Warriors or the the Celtics shutting down Durant and then not being able to shut down Curry, I think is a it, they're they're different argument. Like, it's not one to one. It doesn't make it doesn't it doesn't just it doesn't diminish Durant and it doesn't like vault Curry into like this huge I think it's it's a team thing to me it's a it's a huge team thing it's like a, it's a way that their offense is run it's like a it's a philosophy thing like I, I don't want I don't want to compare apples to apples with that and I think like that people I think it's getting lost in a lot of the conversation uh I guess I get I I guess I'm seeing it differently um speaking of well speaking Going back to uh, Steph um, in terms of how this championship elevates him. Well, one. Um, so he's he's in my, I have him in my top 10. I have him in my top 10 too. I have him above Larry Bird and Kevin Durant. And um, Man, I know. Kevin Durant top 10. I I do. Um, he's either in the top ten or top eleven. Like he kind of got on the backside. The thing about these top ten lists is when you start filling it out, <laughs> the ten the ten get filled it's up hard. real quickly. Yeah. So like, let me hold on. Let me grab my list. It's on my other desk. All right. So this is kind of the preliminary list I put together. I made two different lists because I really don't know what to do with like guys like Bill Russell and them like I want to pay respect and homage to the history and the league they played in at the time and Bill Russell also did play a lot of his career against Wilt so if I'm going to discredit Bill Russell that means I'd be discrediting Wilt too uh, but preliminary I had LeBron as the GOAT for a bit but I think it's MJ, LeBron Kareem, Magic this is the list with Bill Russell like included yeah. in the top five. So I have MJ, LeBron, Kareem, Magic, Bill Russell, Tim Duncan, Kobe, Steph, KD, Larry Bird at 10, Shaq at 11. And that's like a preliminary list. I just want to be clear. It's not the top five. Well, the fifth, I, I don't know what to do with Bill Russell. That top four is set in stone. Um, I think the rest you can argue, but Steph is approaching magic as the greatest point guard of all time. And yes, Steph is a point guard. Um, and, um, he, he might do it a little differently, but he fits the job description. He's fit the job description of the point guard, his whole career. Um, but yeah, I have Tim Duncan and Kobe over him right now. And Steph is right that he could catch Kobe and Tim Duncan. Like this is their Warriors are not done. <laughs> They're not done by any stretch. Like Dude, imagine when Steph hits the Ray Allen point of his career where he just he's where if he, he ever three, if he ever he just does. becomes a three point specialist. <laughs> Could you imagine? Like 
<laughs> he's not even at that point yet. Like he's he's taken he keeps taking more and more threes a game, and eventually it's just like, is he gonna have like a season where he takes like two million threes like a game. like sixteen threes a game? Like even though I'm sure that would be tiring as hell, but like think about like the regular season, Steph shot thirty eight percent from three. Like, cause remember he had that like two month like stretch where he just shot like dog shit, right? Yeah, he he shot garbage. <laughs> but like, he's gonna regress back to the mean next year. Like he was dominant in these finals, man. Like, uh, let me read the numbers real quick. Um, so Steph Curry in these finals averaged thirty one points per game, six rebounds, five assists, two steals. By the way, the last two series especially, they hunted Steph mercilessly and he was good defending yeah, he stepped up. um 43% from 3 43.7% from 3 and that includes game 5 where he shot 0 for 9 from 3 and then 48% from the field like Steph is not done yet man um and he is just going to further etch himself in the history of basketball he's in my he's in my top 10 and unfortunately with these Sometimes you have to kick some people out, especially when there's a meteor like this guy. Yeah, no, I completely agree. I had him in the top 15 before. This breaks him into the top 10 for me. Yeah. Um, like, like you said, to me, the top four are pretty set in stone for me. I think like, I think there's a gap. Like, I think it's, I think there's LeBron, Jordan, Kareem uh, as top three. Like, I think those are untouchable. And then Magic is, I have a running up top four. And I think those are pretty undeniable tough, for me the tough thing with um, me is um i have i i know i have larry bird way too low and unfortunately he had his career cut short but at his peak he was just as good as magic yeah 100 um, that's why i have I've, i have bird in like the sixth or seventh spot yeah i need to have um, him higher it, like i said i'm gonna be doing a deep dive this is just this was just like a exercise of okay. I can't yeah, just let me think about I can't this. I can't just say blindly steps in my top ten. <laughs> I have to I have to actually write yeah, out some players like, and take uh, some players there, out. You know, there are there are a lot of people that were like, "Yo, Steph's top three all time, top five all time," and I was like, "Bro, are you guys paying attention? Are you guys watching?" It's like, either Gen Zers or people who just want to throw out a tweet just to throw out. Yeah, a tweet. I was like, "Well, Jaw put top five. Jaw tweeted out top five. I don't. Well, Jaw's nineteen years old. That's probably yeah. that's." his top five <laughs> like yeah and like there there were a lot of polls going around of like magic versus steph tweets and i was like guys like look you uh, you guys are gonna have to be ready to have an uncomfortable conversation magic and laker fans oh, because it's, that, it's happening fine. i think i think the conversation is fine i think like the but the polls that i was seeing were like overwhelmingly like 80 percent steph and i was like <laughs> you guys are like in the like, we're we're having a little bit of like recency bias here. Like we gotta we gotta slow down. <laughs> like, um, Jason Maples, who is a really good follow on Twitter. Um, yes, fantastic. He he uh, tweeted, and I like I was like yes because I have been making this point about Steph the entire time he his entire career. Like, because somebody was like somebody did a tweet that was like uh, Steph Curry is the best air quote point guard of all time or whatever. And Jason Maples quote tweeted this guy and was like, look, the difference between Steph and Chris Paul is Chris Paul's a traffic cop. Like Steph Curry, like he'll, he'll direct plays a run floppy, all this stuff. But Steph Curry generates 
good looks for his teammates every single time, every single second he's on the floor, which is the job description of a point guard. It just, yeah. it's a little bit different. And <laughs> like, I think like the thing people get caught up in is like what you tradition, like in a basketball textbook, what a point guard is. And like, if you also if people you, trying to sound smarter than what they like with the whole positionless thing, I yeah. think some of the positionless thing is true, but it's not at the same time. There's still functional positions, yeah, you need on the basketball court, you know. Yeah, go ask the Celtics if they want a point guard, if they want like a true point guard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like somebody who has good, and I'm not even talking for the Celtics, I'm not even talking about like a traditional, traditional point guard, just somebody who has good sense of like the game flow yeah. when to take shots. Okay. The Warriors just went on a quick, like they hit back to back threes as a quick six Oh run. We need to just settle down, down and get a bucket here or try yeah. to get to the foul Dude, line. I, yeah. to I told you the, I, I, we talked about it. Like in, when it happened, I was like, watch Mark, Marcus smart is in his, I can get this game back mode. Mm-hmm. And yep. like he was just taking dude, some of yeah, the shots. He took, he, he took two bad threes in that third quarter, and Bro, it, it just... I was laughing so hard because you you know like he's getting beat on defense, and he said, "I need to bring it back." <laughs> yeah, he's like, "Oh hell no, I'm getting these three back." Like I, we've all been there in pickup before. Somebody hits like yeah, three but shots just, the NBA you're just finals. like, "Oh no, fuck this." <laughs> yes, comparing pickup to the NBA Finals. Let's go. <laughs> but yeah, like you know, I I think. People just keep get caught up in that, and like, yeah, when you bring, when you when you use a like basketball textbook as like the measuring stick, then yeah, like Chris Paul, Magic Johnson are probably like your poster children for like big and small guards of like how you're supposed to play the point guard. Guy, you like Chris Paul, um, like Magic Johnson, right? The guy who's the point guard, fast break, Showtime Lakers, yeah. give everybody the ball. Chris Paul, the guy who. Half court offense, half court like, offense, run, run, run flop, show. run floppy. One run. Uh, the Clippers said they used to uh, run different versions of floppy, and then they called it twenty-one. And then eventually, they got so good at running floppy. I think him and JJ Redick were talking about it. They got so good at running the twenty-one play, they started like giving it different code names because other teams like would know what twenty-one was. So they just started giving code names to get get a beat earlier on the off it, the yeah. opponent and so they would they eventually started calling the play savage like 21 savage you know it's so uh, funny. and just chris paul is deliberate with that stuff steph whether he has the ball whether he's running around screens whether he's setting screens by the way like that is a new thing guards have been doing the last eight years since this Warriors run that guards are setting a lot more screens now because Steph is one of the best guard screeners ever. Like he gets guys. Oh, great looks every time. And that's the definition yeah. of a point guard. Yeah, no, hundred percent. And it's, and it's also the, the other, th one more thing. The other thing that's impressive about this title too, is that everybody, like every team started like coveting, like, at least having a li a small lineup in their back pocket. A small lineup meaning versatility, skill, six four to six eight wings, yeah, multiple movement. multiple guys, movement. Teams built to stop, geared to stop the Warriors, and all that happened. The league evolved. The Warriors were kind of dormant for two years through injury and all that stuff, and they came back and beat everybody that's doing all that shit. <laughs> yeah. Like it's that's what's impressive about it. It's it, it that that scheme, that system, it's foolproof, man. 
Um, but let's go to the Celtics side of things. And one, I'm glad that the Celtics didn't win. One for my agenda, because if the Celtics had won a championship before the Sixers did, with all the process and the tanking we went through, I would not have been well. <laughs> um, but one thing I think Jason Tatum needs to improve, and he's improved every summer, for him to, like I said last episode, I called him a superstar saying one. For him to reach the second level of being a superstar, he needs to continue getting better with playmaking because I think he absolutely improved this year. But he needs to keep on improving, finishing around the rim. He needs to improve that handle, man. <laughs> yeah, like the handle does get too high a little bit. And him and Jalen Brown have worked on their handle and all that stuff. Jalen Brown needs to glue that basketball to his left hand. Because against playoff defenses, they sat on his right hand. And the Warrior, like, there were a few games in the finals where Jeff Van Gundy every time was like, I don't know why the Warriors are letting Jalen Brown go right every time, right? And then the Warriors figured it out. They were just like, we're just going to sit on his right hand and make Jalen Brown drive into traffic with his left. And yeah, they just watched the tape. They're like, wait, hold on. Yeah, and they need to they need to improve in those ways. I think Jason Tatum's right there, though, and that was kind of the issue with this. This Celtics, the the Celtics, they arrived too early, which is they were ahead of schedule. If that makes sense, like yeah, Kevin O'Connor no, brought I, I this up, and there's there's going to be room for improvement. They made the finals; they're a contender for the foreseeable future. There's just minor improvements they need to make, where they just don't have stretches where they look like they don't know how to play basketball. <laughs> Like, that was, like, it's one thing to not have a point guard to set the table or whatever. Some of these turnovers were bad, man. Like, some of these were awful. And the Warriors forced a lot of them, right? I want to give the Warriors defense credit. But, like, some of these turnovers, man, just unforced. Unforced. um, Bad driving into traffic. Bad decisions. And Tatum's not that good of a playmaker yet for that Boston lineup to um, not have a someone for like 15 minutes to settle the game down. You know, like if the yeah. Celtics got DeLon right next year, I would feel great about if I was a Celtics fan, I'd feel great about having more possessions next postseason where it's just not dumb basketball, you know, because well, yeah, I think like. To add on what you're saying, like I think there is a, a thing of. It doesn't have to be a point guard, and it it, it just has to be someone that's a. I know who I know can feel not, the flow of a game. Yeah. It's exactly what it is. Yeah, and just feel like know which buckets have the more impact morale wise, all that stuff. Because all that little stuff, even the stuff that goes beyond the numbers, like those type of point guards can feel. All right. And yeah. um, Jason Tatum, like I said, he has become a really good playmaker. He is not in the class of a Doncic or a LeBron or even a James Harden, prime Houston James Harden, I should say, where you can also you can also lean on his playmaking in addition to his scoring. And also Jason Tatum needs to play better th- – he needs to keep improving through playing through contact and just realizing I'm 6'10". I can just throw this skip pass instead of taking a Kobe fadeaway 
or dribbling into traffic and trying to dr- flail and draw contact. I'm 6'10", I'm 220, 225 solid. I'm going to go through co- I'm going to go through people. I'm bigger than people, you know. Needs to utilize his size more. Just a few things. He's 24. He's going to improve. So, yeah. No, I completely with you. Um yeah, I I think for me this is sort of a thing of so it's coming. It's uh I think there needs to be some just like not adjustments, just tweaking around the yeah, edges of the just roster. M- at mar- margin, the uh, around the margins. Yeah, and just like an older guy, like I think Al Horford is huge for the team of just like a having a veteran dude, but I think you need an, like another dude mm-hmm. there. Because the um, Celtics bench fell apart the last four games. Like, dude, even, 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 like to me, the perfect signing for them is like a Ricky Rubio guy. Like, if they just got Ricky Rubio. Like, I think that's the kind of guy where you just go like, oh, okay, he's cheaper. Like, he'll come just be a rotational guy. He would eat Rubio. Well, he's recovering from a torn ACL, but the Celtics went with Pritchard a lot, and Pritchard gave him nothing. I Rubio could have been more like productive if you put, in those, if you in put, those if you put If you put Rubio, like a healthy Ricky Rubio on this roster, I, I think they would have – I don't know if they would have won, but it would have been way more competitive. It would it there would have been I I don't know about that I do think there would have been less possessions where it looked like Boston was stuck in the mud for sure would have given him a better chance, um, but yeah uh I, the other thing I am worried about with the Celtics is this Robert Williams thing because the knee he got meniscus surgery. I was scared that he was going to try and come back and play during the playoff. Like I know it's meniscus meniscuses can be finicky. Um, as a Sixer fan, I know, I feel like I am a walking web MD with all these injuries that have happened to us. Um, <laughs> so like the meniscus thing kind of scares me. And, you know, Chris Haynes had a good piece about this of uh, on Yahoo about what it took for Robert Williams every game basically to get ready and all that stuff, having his knee drained multiple times. Like, yeah, it's not good playing through and coming back early from meniscus surgery and the Celtics doctors being like, you're good. But then Isaiah Thomas quote tweets that saying like, I've heard that before. Oh, it was hilarious. I was one of my favorite things like that. I'm concerned for Robert Williams. I hope he looks good because he looks awesome. Like I, I had him as one of my breakout players this season. I did a little video before the season started, and he was one of my six breakout candidates. Like, a guy who is an incredible shot blocker can move his feet, well, when healthy, of course. He was he improved as the series went along, by the way, but he was clearly laboring. Um, great. The way, that, awesome, the, way he ro- awesome the way he rotates is insane. The way he rotates, the way he gets up high to block shots, his passing, he was always – the last two years, he's been a really damn good passer, especially for a big. And he's a vertical threat. And that's exactly the type of player that fits with that roster, obviously. And I'm worried about his health, his long-term health. I hope the knee will be fine and he, there won't be any lingering effects from trying to come back from meniscus surgery. But that is a concern because he's a big piece for the Celtics. Um, and then Grant Williams, I he... The, that like I said, that Boston bench faded the last like three games of that series. But like Derek White was huge for their playoff run. Grant Williams was huge. Um, 
you know, that game seven against the Bucks, Grant Williams went like, what was it, eight for 16 from three? Like, was a awesome defender against Giannis. Like, every Celtic had a key role, but then the bench just faded in the finals, man. Like, that – they definitely have some things to tweak, but they're good for the future. They're they're. This is why I think the lesson here from the Celtics for the viewer and for us is to stop – prematurely trying to break up young talented duos because if it doesn't work in the first two or three years we start doing like oh is it time to break them up can they mesh together when we don't when we don't realize that the league keeps getting younger and younger so we have to keep adjusting for that timeline like Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown are 25 and 24 or 26 and 24. Like there's, they are going to be, they're still going to be learning to play together and develop. Like there's the same thing with Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons. Um, Granted, it's a little different because they were an odd fit, but they still won games together and they were relatively young. But people were like, we need to break those guys up, break those guys up. Like everybody wants to break up young duos if it doesn't work right away. And that's just not how stuff works. And I think that's the lesson we can all learn from this. Yeah. No, I'm completely with you. So, uh, and like, I, oh, sorry, so, go ahead. So we have what? We have about ten minutes left, ten-ish minutes left. I want to talk about draft because we have the draft very soon. Yes, we do next Thursday. So, have you had time to wait look a at minute some before, of these guys before the before we start with the draft and? No, I haven't had I haven't done as much, but I have started. Um but what do you think of the Christian Wood trade? Okay, so the Christian Wood trade, I went through like a roller coaster of emotions. <laughs> because I really like yeah, Christian apparently Wood. Apparently everybody we, did on the timeline. We we, like. we uh we've talked about it before. I like Christian Wood. I think he's a great offensive piece. My concern was more of like I don't know what this does to them defensively. Like I think I think Luca does such a great job of like raising your offensive floor of like your entire offense where I don't necessarily think he needs the most help on that end. I think a lot of it comes down to like, I think if you just give him a good defense and you're able to play off of that and and create easy fast break opportunities, I think that helps your offense just naturally. Um, But like Christian Wood to me is pretty special offensively. I think he has what he can do as a shooter, what he does as a role man and as a lob threat. I think it, it's a huge upgrade over, you know, like a Dwight Powell. Mm-hmm. Um, I still think they need another big. Like, I would love to get for them to get a defensive big. Um, but the more I thought about it, the more I was like, man, I would. My initial thought was, man, I would have loved for them to save those, save what they had to trade for like a bigger, a bigger, more defensive centerpiece. But then I thought about it and I looked at the, the more I looked at the trade, the more I was like, they really didn't give up anything. For no, Christian they Wood. didn't. It was um, basic... so like they still have like all of their core assets to give up. Mm-hmm. And I was like, OK, well, like, it's not a huge deal at that point. Like, I think he's I think he gives them a lot more offense. I think he gives them a lot. Uh, it, he makes them a lot more dynamic. Um, he gives mm-hmm. Luca. We've, we've never really seen Luca play off ball, but being able to give Christian Wood the ball and have him ISO on a big and just kind of out athletic another big gives Luca the chance to be able to spot up and maybe kind of get some motion into this offense that isn't just Luca pounding the rock and trying to find a man. Um, 
but yeah, I, I like it a lot. The more I thought about it, the more I liked it a lot. And I think it comes down to like the fact that they didn't give up anything for it. I like. Person- I think it. Oh, sorry. I girl. think. I think. I think if they if they gave up more, I would. If they gave up like good assets, I would have been like, I don't know. But the fact that they didn't give up anything, I really like it. Yeah, no, they gave up Boban, Marquise, Chris, Trey Burke, and a twenty-six pick. It yeah, basically, it's is- a twenty-six pick for Christian Wood, and the Rockets are going to waive. The other guys that come in the trade, probably except for maybe Beaumont. Yeah, and then Beaumont can come I back. I think both teams. It was a fine trade. It was. I like Christian Wood, but I'm starting to think he's becoming more of a theoretical. He's the theoretical version of him is being talked about more than the actual reality. Because like I wouldn't want him trying. Like once in a while, sure, give him the ball and see if he can out quick a big off the dribble. But like, well, remember before he got hurt last year and the year before, he was cooking. Yeah, and well, he last year he didn't like make the young guys bet. I think this was a fine trade for Dallas because I like his offensive fit with Luca. And I mean, I don't he, like him. I don't like him as a floor raiser. I like him as a complimentary piece. Yeah, like, I think he makes a perfect I think, center. I think that's second. that's his that's his role. And also, as far as defensively, he's not he's skinny it's not the best defender didn't really try in houston which i don't blame him um but the rockets wanted to clear out space for whoever they take at three which is probably going to be bancaro or somebody like that uh make room for shangun and whoever they take at three and the mavericks got somebody who can hit more threes can you know on occasions beat a quicker big off the dribble is a lob threat and also like i know he the defense is a legitimate valid question but we just saw jason kidd and his staff and mainly assistant coach sean sweeney scheme up a top six defense since the new year and a top eight defense overall in the season for dallas with you know dorian finney smith and reggie bullock are their best wing defenders i don't know why they wouldn't be able to scheme it up again and maybe sure. even and he, maybe even pull more out of Wood defensively since he's in a new situation and he is athletic and he is rangy. They're... Again, like this is this is the same. So the argument you're giving me is the same argument I gave you about the Bulls last year, and like we saw in that sen- they... in what sense? Because remember, my my thing was like if you get athletic guys in new situations, like maybe they buy in. You're able to scheme differently. Like you just trust that athletically they're able to overcome defensive deficiencies and be able to buy into a new system defensively. And like, remember and that, then your thing was like, I've never seen it from these guys, whatever. And like, that's sort of the same argument you're making here for, for wood. So, I mean, I see your point. May- um, well, wait for, well, that maybe is because I have to go back and listen to that episode because I mean, Zach Levine was still that. Maybe it might have been centered around Zach Levine, but Zach Levine, yeah, you're right. Maybe you're right. Um, but for a center, at least for a center, you can at least I see them turning a bad defensive center into if you condense his role for somebody like Wood to be a rim protector, and you know they run a lot of zone, so maybe take advantage of his athleticism there. Um, sure. I could see that. Um, but I, I, I just my- like, I, I like the idea of giving, giving Luca a hyper athletic lob threat and a yeah. guy and a, and a six ten guy that shoots 39% from three. And like, also that's just maybe a, that, that's that, just that, a argu- win. 
And maybe that argument's different because, I mean, I saw what the Dallas Mavericks coaching staff just did um, because I thought they were going to be a shitty defense uh, this season, and they proved me wrong. So I'm probably giving them the benefit of the doubt. Like, they they coached the hell out of this team. And so, you know, I didn't see that with the Bulls prior. And, um, and, you know, I was wrong about the Bulls too. I was wrong on both fronts about – the Mavs. So maybe my opinion changed as the facts went along. Sure. But um, let's talk about the draft. You wanted to talk about the draft. Oh, yeah. So I just want to bring up, like, so it looks like my dream scenario of what we were talking about last week of, like, how I wanted Jabari Smith to go first and Chet to go second mm-hmm. and Paolo to go third. I think that's that looks to be shaping up to be happening. At right. This, there's some smoke screen happening with Jabari at the number one spot. Mm-hmm. Um, just because of the, I think that's just the natural, like, number one pick kind of smoke screen. Yeah. Um, but everything's pointing to that he's going to go to the Magic. And I think all, I think those are the three perfect team fits, the most interesting team fits. Um, so, so Jabari, Chet to OKC, and then Paolo to the Paolo Rockets. Paolo to, to the Rockets, yeah. So, like, you have Jabari Smith being that kind of, uh, go-to shooter for the Magic and the, and, and the long boy for them. Mm. Um, which, again, I love. I love putting him on a team with competent guards. Oh, yeah. And they have plenty of them. They have the plenty of them, right? And so, Franz. like, being... Yeah, so being able to put him in positions where, like, yeah, he doesn't have to create as much. He has a lot of people doing that for him. And he's able to just kind of go in and play off ball. And I think that's what his strength is. I think that's great. The thing um, I the the one thing I do know that I've known all year about Jabari Smith is that apparently a lot of people hate the Auburn guards. No, the gar- Auburn guards were trash. Yeah, I don't a, know if you've seen any people, footage of that. Like, yeah, it is... I've seen some. Like, I get it, but like that that was just funny because you know basketball. A lot of the communities intersect, and so that's what I was seeing a lot. They're like, God damn, if Jabari Smith could just get away from these fucking guards. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So like, you know, I love that. Um, I love I love Chet with the Thunder. I think he's the perfect fit there. Um, I I can't wait for my a Chet Poku front court. Mm-hmm. Um, you know I think I think they're gonna have a lot of size. If like I think if their starting lineup is something like Shea, Giddy. Wait, hold up, hold up, hold up. We have some breaking news. Well, not breaking news, but like thirty minutes ago, ESPN's Adrian Wojnarowski, ESPN sources, Kenny Atkinson has decided he won't become the Charlotte Hornets head coach and will remain with Golden State as top assistant. After being offered the job during the NBA Finals, further conversations led Atkinson to believe it would be best to remain with the Warriors. Oh wow! 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 He saw he saw Miles Bridges with that cup of lean and was like, nope. <laughs> so yeah so there's so there's that um wow that's an interesting uh, i have to i have to think of how i feel about this yeah the, um, see that news i I just hit you with the right hook with that news. <laughs> yeah like that one i had to think about how that how i feel about that um but Tra- no so like, talk <laughs> yeah so like i think you know if you have your lineup where shay giddy um and then like you know maybe man and someone like i think if you if you if you just pack that team full of just like long playmakers oh boy that offense is going to be a phone booth <laughs> yeah like i i over the deep like yeah and i think you know if you if you just have a a really you could you could do something really interesting to that team and like it's so 
moldable and i think chet is so moldable as well that like you could make some really interesting stuff happen there that's why i kind of like the rockets too like they have a lot of they have a lot oh my of good God. pieces so yeah the the paolo jalen green pairing is so interesting to me is <laughs> athletic and thunderous scoring along with Shindun. yeah like i it's so that's such a fascinating lineup to me of seeing like okay well what happens with they're not gonna be good defensively but like man they're gonna be able to score with anyone mm-hmm and I think it's it's it'd be a lot of fun. Well, I don't think they'll be able two. to score with anyone, but they will have some fun offensive flashes because there's going to be a lot of bad shots and turnovers oh, too. This is absolutely no. I'm not saying I'm not saying they're going to score with anyone. I'm saying they have the potential to score with anyone. Yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah. Um, Sacramento has the fourth pick too, and there's a lot of uh, hemming so and hawing over. Who. I do. I do like the Jaden Ivy pairing with De'Aaron Fox. I like it better than most people, but then you run into the same problems. I'm of all like, about getting the fucking best player for the Kings. God damn it. Like who, if you think it's Keegan Murray, take Keegan Murray. If you think it's Jaden Ivy, take Jaden Ivy. Have you Ivey. seen the way Jaden Ivy moves on a basketball court? It, it's it. I like Jaden Ivy a lot. <laughs> like, trust me, I do just take the best player available because we try to, the Kings are trying to – where is Fit? Fit has gotten the Kings in trouble forever with uh, – draft and Monty, yeah. Mc, Monty McNair, let's be clear, the last two drafts has been awesome with the drafts. I um, mean, like – But before that, Fit, oh, uh, Lu, uh, can Luka Doncic and De'Aaron Fox be, uh, be a fit together? What the fuck does that mean, you know? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I'm still in the – I would have traded De'Aaron Fox over Halliburton – camp and like it's got to feel bad of like now you have Jaden Ivey in your lap but like he probably would have been a better fit with I'm Tyree, not sure yet. with Halliburton I'm not sure yet I at first I was I I was apoplectic that the Kings traded Halliburton but I also think De'Aaron Fox had a bad had a down year on a bad team um sure and I, I'm not I'm not sure yet I mean, you have to I'm not I'm not I'm not off I'm not off Fox, I think he's still going to be a, a solid but player. But I do. I think. But I mean, take if you think it's Shaden Sharp of all people, because uh, I know yeah. he's going to be the wild card. Take Shaden Sharp. The Kings need to take somebody good because they obviously threw in their chips. They have a mandate to make the playoffs because their owner just doesn't see reality, and uh, just. Take I mean, I could see player. them trading this too for a piece, but I don't know who would give them anything. Oh man, that would be sheesh. I don't know how I'd feel about trading a lottery pick. But again, I think the Kings are I think the Kings should be on a different timeline than what they think they're on, but that's yeah, neither course. here nor there. Um like, but you trade it for like, the bonus, hey, it's time to start so, crafting. So here the here's the there. thing. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. Hypothetical won't happen. But if if you're the Kings mm-hmm. and Utah calls and goes, Hey, we'll give you our first round pick, I forget what number it is. Four. Go and Gobert. Or no, you mean the Jazz. Yeah, the trade. Jazz. If I go if I give you our first round we swap first and I give you Gobert and you give me the fourth. Would you do it? No, because I already have Sabonis and I'd be wasting an asset. If Sabonis if Sabonis I think they'd do it. I, I wouldn't I wouldn't do it. I think that if for so to swap whatever pick the jazz has with the fourth which i'm thinking in the 20s the, i was thinking, and yeah. to send in go bear yeah that i think that's a terrible trade for the kings yeah so do i but but i think they'd do it 
no, Monty McNair's smart. Like, he's operating under constraints with Vivek, but he's made smart decisions typically since he's been here. Like, I like the Mike Brown hire, too. Um, even though I think... I like the Mike Brown hire in the sense that it was not Mark Jackson and it was the safest hire he could make. And I think Mike Brown's actually a good coach and they need defense and Mike Brown's the guy to do that, right? Um, right. But I think Monty McNair, given the circumstances, he's made smart choices and that is a choice I do not think he would make. Because they already traded for Sabonis. You already gave some stuff up to get the guy you wanted, right? Um, yeah. So I, it, you run Twin Powers, though. Well, well, I wouldn't run that tw- particular Twin Tower lineup, <laughs> but sure. <laughs> you can run Twin Towers. That Yeah, ju- you. we could also just bring back Kangs while we're at it, too, like if they make that trade. But I don't. that's not going to happen. We'll but I, I'm, I'm not going to lie. I am kind of bullish on Keegan Murray. Like, the, the more I watch him, the more I read about him, like – I think the Kings do need a big ultimately that could play next to Sabonis that could cover his weaknesses defensively. Um, yeah. It's a high motor guy. Especially he's, he's high motor guy they are too. clearly rolling with the duo of Fox and Sabonis. And so if you're going to do that, which I wouldn't necessarily, that wouldn't be my path, but again, different constraints, different ownership. It's time to start building around that um, and filling out the roster that way. Um and I think Murray would be a good fit. Jaden Ivey wouldn't be bad too. I, the Kings just need to nail this pick. I I just love the idea of uh you get a you get a fast break and you have Jaden Ivey and De'Aaron Fox running down the floor at you. And oh like, man, you that'd be that'd be terrifying. Like, what do you, man. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I I like that look. Um, but again, I don't know how that works out defensively. I don't know if that's actually the smartest move, but we'll see. Yeah. Uh, the people that I do want to talk about, and again, this is. This goes back to both of our greatest weakness of just long boys that do cool things. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm a big fan of AJ Griffin, and I like uh, yeah, Usman Jiang. The more I see of him, the more I'm like, I like this dude. Mm-hmm. Where they're just they're just six, you know, they're just long wings that do cool playmaking, ball handling things. <laughs> yeah, right. And it's like, like. Uh, I have to stop myself. Like Jiang, Jiang gives me like more gives you the polished... heebie-jeebies. He's no, he like, gives ooh. me he gives me he gives me like more more polished Poku vibes, and I'm like, ooh, Jesus I like Christ. it. Like, because uh, he's he's six ten, uh, he's a six ten like dribble playmaking like almost plays point guard kind of a guy. Can't really yeah. shoot, but has like solid fluid form. Trust me, the um, po- the post draft reaction podcast. I'll have more for you on some of these other guys. Because yeah, I really, like, only know the top five or six. So, so go go look footage up of of Usman Jiang, and if I think there's a couple of full games online, go look it up. He is he is the definition of like what we like as long boy. <laughs> All right, I'm and, gonna I'm gonna so I'm gonna see every... where, I'm gonna see where Kevin O'Connor has this guy on his. On his uh, every oh he has him ninth he has him uh, mocked to oh that's that's just his big board let me see the mock draft he has your boy Jiang mocked to the Spurs at nine oh see I like that I like the fit I like the fit let's see um ball handling playmaking like you mentioned twenty one percent three oof 
six ten, two hundred pounds. Uh, that sounds like a ball handling and playmaking. Sounds like a Spursian type of player. <clears throat> but yeah, you know, so, we'll see. Yeah. I'll uh, I'll definitely have more for you on the other guys and the top more of the top three. But uh, but yeah, that's that's sort of where I'm at with uh with the draft and like I just I just really love to see see all that stuff happen. So. Yeah, I'm excited. I'm excited for where the draft's going. Basketball don't stop. It really doesn't. I'm excited for this offseason, too. This offseason's going to be fascinating. We'll get more into yeah. that. This is this is a finals breather, but I, I really, I'm interested in how this offseason's going to go. Yes. And now now I got to think about this this Hornets situation now. Because I, I love I love what the Hornets are building. I love their roster right now. And like, well, wanna... now Kenny Atkinson pulled out. I know. Out, so we'll I wa- see. Now it, it throws off my whole idea of like what the Hornets are going to be like D'Antoni maybe I don't know <laughs> I I honestly like I like the idea of Mike D'Antoni I like the idea of giving him uh offense with the Lamborghini in the garage mm-hmm. Woj just said Mike D'Antoni and Terry Stotts were the other two finalists for the job Charlotte will have to restart process now oh my god I'm I'm actually kind of in on that D'Antoni like just let give LaMelo the ball and let him run yeah same but anyway, God, so we should lot. we should uh, probably cut it off here. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but yeah, thanks guys for watching and listening. We'll be back with more uh, off-season stuff, I guess. Shout out Steph, the B.O.B. Thank you.